Hi, I'm Rachel Dillon, and together with my husband, Marcus Dillon, we lead Who's Really the Boss podcast, where we highlight the joys and challenges of running a business with your spouse or family. Our mission is to strengthen families and businesses by helping listeners avoid the mistakes we have made so they can lead and live happily ever after. Welcome back to another episode of Who's Really the Boss podcast. Hey, thanks for having me back. Welcome back to town. Do we start every episode with welcome back to town? Do you ever stay home? I, I mean, I love to travel. I love to get frequent flyer miles and stay in nice hotels. So any good trip uh, that I can say that is uh, is a good trip. It's good to be back, though. Um, miss y'all, miss the house, especially when you're not traveling. So it's good. Yeah, absolutely. So you were at a conference yeah. that you needed to be at because the topics that they were going to discuss just felt so relevant, so close to what we do just to help us be better with our clients, with our peers in the accounting industry. And so you went, but I stayed behind because Avery, our youngest, had a swim meet and I didn't want to miss the swim meet. Yeah. And you... I missed a swim had, meet, so it's yeah. like... <laughs> I also timed that swim meet. It was like yeah. three and a half hours with one break. Um, it was a lot. But you got upgraded on everything. At Huge. This, yeah. At the traveling to and traveling from this conference. So yeah. tell a little bit about your experience of that, but also tell a little bit about the conference. Yeah. So, I mean, let's start with the, the upgrades, right? So <laughs> I, I'm spoiled. And whenever we now go to the airport... We park in valet just because that is the most convenient. And so pulling into valet and then going through clear TSA pre-check to then go to the United Club Lounge uh, if we're flying out United. Um, and then, uh, you know, we get upgraded to first class pretty regularly. So that was no different on this trip. So upgraded to first class. And then whenever I actually got to the hotel, it was a little bit later in the uh, in the day there when I got there to uh, Greenville, South Carolina, the hotel was so nice. And uh, they upgraded me to a suite and the suite had a living room and a kitchenette and a table and great. You know, this is all for me. It's like Kevin McAllister when he goes to New York. It was uh, it was pretty nice. Yeah. And I feel like we need to give some context there because <laughs> that does sound awfully privileged. However, there were a few things that we put in place too many years ago to count with like the Amex uh, Marriott oh, yeah. Bonvoy to where we could stay at yeah. nice hotels after we finally built up enough um, status and points and whatever. And then the traveling just going a lot for business, some with kids going you yeah. know, across the world for college. And so just some of those things, not necessarily that we're like laying down cash for all of these nice upgrades. It took a few years to build up yeah. to this point that now we get to, um, in our old age, <laughs> we get to enjoy some of the nicer things. I mean, I'm still an accountant by nature <laughs> when it comes to some things. Uh, so it's funny, I was talking to a new client and first time business owner and kind of giving him the rundown on the benefits of credit cards and credit card miles. This is anti-Dave Ramsey, right? But um, I kind of looked like an addict because I had like five or six different credit cards that I use um, 
intertwined into the daily life of owning a business or different investments and and so was giving him the rundown on each so yeah amex platinum marriott bonvoy amex um united club card uh all that fun stuff that's what allows us entry points into these upgrades i I appreciate you for that i feel like you might appreciate me for the fact that i'm always you cannot have a credit card if you cannot pay it off every month it has to be paid off every single month there are no balances carried on anything so um that's one of the stipulations of having so many things but I do like to travel. And when I travel, I feel like I need to, it needs to be nicer than home or it's more like camping and I don't prefer camping. And so anyway, all of, all of that to say, tell me about the conference that you went to. What were the topics discussed? So it was the first time at this conference and uh, my friend Jason Blummer leads a a group called Thrival. It's a accounting community membership community. And uh, every year they have this conference called Deeper Weekend and it's in Greenville, South Carolina. It's where he and his team are based out of. So the topic this year was merge, sell, acquire, and scale. And so each of those four topics, like the agenda looked great, different panels from in- industry thought leaders and just real-world experience on people that have been successful in any one of those four, um, what to think about as you are integrating a firm in or looking for a firm to acquire or sell your firm or even scale, which is a lot of uh, a lot of what people are trying to do uh, right now and get through the the season that we're in from an accounting industry because the um, the amount of available work is high and you just have to be careful with what you do let into the doors and do that the right way. So scale was a very big topic. So that was what led me to the conference. And then um, kind of as I was sitting there listening to one of the panels on M&A, um, I started to write down how many M&A transactions we've been involved in. And so when I text you, I'm like, hey, we should do a podcast on what we've learned from 12 different M&A transactions. Um, you're like, this sounds like a fish story. Um, so <laughs> I absolutely said that. Like when you tell the fish story, the fish gets a little bit bigger every single time. Yeah. Because I think in my mind, I could say eight. Um I could, I could point back to eight for sure. Uh, my mind is uh, not as good as it once was, yeah. you know, pre-40 years old. So um, I, I do appreciate that. You're winning all kinds of points, not from rubbing it in my face that you had all the upgrades, but from bringing a podcast topic that, you, uh, that never happens. Yeah. So the fact that you're bringing that was awesome. Well, yeah, uh, you know, and that was the thing. I was listening to people share their experience and I'm like, that's great advice. I wish I would have known that before this deal or that deal. And then that's when I started jotting them down. So we really have done 12 M&A transactions within the start of DBA since 2011. So four of those were acquisitions and eight were divestures or client block exits that we monetized. So um, yeah, crazy to think 12 different M&A transactions since 2011. So... (laughs) It is. It, it really is. And for the so, to give everybody a little bit more context, the four acquisitions happened all prior to 2016 was the last acquisition, and then that's when we kind of reached critical mass. This is no longer fun. 2017, we immediately started divesting, 
blocking clients, well, grading clients, blocking them, and then selling them when the opportunity was available to sell them. So four acquisitions up to 2016, eight sales since 2017 to 2022. Yeah. So let's, let's put this disclaimer in there. Those acquisitions were all, all happened within the first five years of business ownership. Um, we were very young at that time compared to what we are now. So talk a little bit about what did due diligence, if any, look like as you were acquiring or thinking about acquiring those firms? So I think the the first three happened really quick, right? So the first one was the original client block that started DBA. I've told that story a few different times where we went out and got a loan, $400,000 block of clients, um, Bob St. Jean, you know, it was just everything that I felt that I could do on my own um, and continue to work at the pace that I was. So that was the in initial acquisition. And so it was in a location that, that we wanted, already yeah. lived or yeah. worked near our house. Between our house and the greater Houston area. Yeah. And so it was somewhere we wanted to be long-term. So all that due diligence was probably the most intense on that one. And so, um, you know, we wrote a business plan, had to go in front of like, a, a loan committee or loan broker that would advocate on our hat on our behalf for this loan. Um, did the deal with our attorneys, his attorneys, all that fun stuff. And even then, like I look back at that deal, uh, we were 28 at the time. Um, and so much could have gone so wrong. Um, but it didn't. And so thankful for that. Um, so the next kind of deal that happened, was another very small acquisition of a friend of ours who was, who had started a, a small private practice uh, in a town that was further rural uh, and wanted to actually move out further rural if you would have ever let me. And so it was kind of that opportunity to play in that space. And we took over his office, acquired his client base, and it was very friendly. I was already doing some work to assist him in those early years whenever he really shifted focus from private practice to go back into a corporate environment. And so we acquired that one. And then the other, the third one in 2011 uh, was where my former firm, uh, the firm that I had left, I had worked for for five or six years before starting DBA and buying that first block of clients. So much work followed me and I signed a non-compete, non-solicitation and as part of that, any work that followed me, I had to pay for. So that was my third acquisition uh, in 2011 that I had to pay for those clients that followed me a third, a third, a third, and uh, make right by those clients and work through that with my previous boss, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. So those three were pretty much immediate. And then the fourth, yeah. that had a little bit, um, that came a little bit later had a little bit of thought into it. Um, talk a little bit about that one. Yeah, I would say a little bit of thought. Um, that's the one that we acquired our my mentor's practice. And so that's in a town 25, 30 minutes away. It gave us a second office location. We thought we were doing the right thing there. There's still fruit that came out of that transaction um, that's the one that I wish I would have done a little bit more due diligence on just from a culture perspective of the client base and what those clients wanted from their CPA relationship. And so 
um, that that individual, he's still a mentor of mine, still a really good friend. Uh, we came away from breakfast one day saying, what's the worst, or I, I said, what's the worst that could happen by merging these two practices or acquiring these practices? Kind of gave him that succession plan event um, for him to exit and kind of do his own thing. But that was probably not all the due diligence that was needed um, on that one because the client base was just so different. And we were already on this path of client accounting services. It was not called that at that time, but doing more for clients through outsourced accounting. And that client base was definitely not that. And so we kind of took a detour in 2016 and uh, it's all, it's all good. It all worked out. What it actually did looking back is it, it allowed us to reach a certain revenue point to then begin to fill out the team that was needed to, to maintain that revenue point and just give us additional budget for better team members going forward than what we were doing on an organic path. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there there was a lot of good. There was a lot of learning that came out of that. And so what do we say? It's not a, a failure. It's like a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's going to make for a great story. <laughs> it does. And you know what? We'll never forget those years. <laughs> there, there are years that they're, feel like they're hard to remember, like the time just flew past. But there are certain years that we can remember pretty much every minute of that year and the pain. Um, and so you can look back and now we can laugh at those. Yeah. Um, but it also started, uh, I guess, the divestures season. Um, once we realized what clients don't fit our ideal client profile, don't fit the ideal services we would like um, to provide, and even don't prefer the way that we provide those services. So at that point, we could start looking at, okay, who doesn't quite fit with DBA anymore? Yeah. So um, I remember the tax season of 2017, we had merged the two together or acquired. Um, it wasn't a merger, it was an acquisition. So I remember in 2017, just the volume um, that we had. And I remember we still had like paper files going through the office. We were at the uh, the first office location that we built there in Katy. And I remember just stacks and stacks and stacks of like folders. And I think they only had like a routing sheet in them. Yeah. And it was um, just too many, right? And uh, from a CPA that's seasonal, um, they would route through my office when I would review them and then kind of go up to the front as part of like the client delivery and then come back to me whenever to invoice them. And so I had a stack for review, I had a stack for invoice. And um, this is where we were like, it was so crazy. I couldn't send invoices because I had to do review. So it's like the thing that you celebrate the most, like sending an invoice and getting cash, like couldn't do that, right? Because we just had too many clients. So that... Um, that season triggered, like, we just have way too many clients. I also got um, everybody on the team to buy into that, uh, regardless of what they knew what that meant. Um, it just was not a fun time to be at DBA. And do you remember, <laughs> this is random, but do you remember at nights we would go home, put the girls to bed, and then go into our home office and work? Do you remember what we would watch 
I think night. the OJ trial uh, movie, not the OJ <laughs> trial, but it was like the uh, the one with David Schwimmer as like uh, the Kardashian. That's what yeah. I remember most from yeah. that time. There are some other things about it that Cuba I Cuba Gooding Jr. was OJ, I think. Yeah. But I just remember going back home, working for, you know, I don't know, maybe till midnight, 1, 2 a.m. and watching the OJ trial movie yeah. every single night, starting it up. Okay, where are we? Yeah. On A and E. So the other sad thing uh, that I have on my video, I have a video of me putting Avery, our youngest, to bed, and it had to be during this season of life, and um, just a frustrated parent, probably trying to get back to the office to do work because then I knew I could go to sleep after I knocked out so much work. But this this kid, this young child, was in my way, like to to not do that. So I was in charge of putting her to bed brushing her teeth and complete meltdown of the child. And I, that's all captured on video. And so while it's funny, it's kind of not, it's really sad. You hate that video. Uh, even it though we all kind of, I, I don't laugh at that video. Even I though we all kind of, yeah, the rest of us kind of are like, Oh, look at this like meltdown happening because like demon child, uh, at that point, cause it was so late frustrated, but thinking back, like how, how, bad was that, that, you know, you're trying to put your kid to bed so you can go back to work. And that's just like things like that kind of built to where we said, no more, this is not what we intended to build, um, even through these acquisitions. Cause like the acquisitions were one thing, but organic growth over that five years was also really good to us. And so we, you know, we had reached this critical mass. I think revenue was around 2.2 million at that time. We had a, a a fairly large team for most um, for most firms, what we would consider a large team. But we just had so many client relationships. It was over 2,000 at that time. So um, we had to make the decision to start blocking and selling, really just blocking and exiting. And then um, my mentor had been successful in actually selling client blocks. So I took that, um, that playbook from him as well and learned that and did that now eight times um, through last year. Yeah. So let's talk through the practical of what that looks like, because there are people involved in that process. So clients that, depending on your business model, you may know very well, yeah. or clients who think they know you very well because you're their CPA, even though they are your one of 2000 potentially. Sure. So what does that really look like when you start to think about, well, first, how do you even pick the clients that you're going to get rid of? What What's the first step there? Yeah. And I think the, the main thing there is it's not just the uh, PETA clients, you know, the pain in the butt clients. Mm -hmm. Um the those people are gone like you know whether they treat a team member disrespectfully or me disrespectfully or just uh, a pain to deal with like those people we don't want to refer them on to anybody uh, and so they're just gone the after you've kind of got past that you actually look to see who you enjoy working with so you would grade them one like one through four a through d however you want to do that mm -hmm. um so it's people that you're serving, that you enjoy serving in a way that you want to serve them is A, clients. B is people that you enjoy, but you're not serving them how you want to serve them. They're actually your B clients. And then C is people that you really don't enjoy serving, but you're serving them in the manner that you want to serve them. They're C and then D, 
you're not serving them the way you want to serve them and they're not your ideal client, those are D. So where does highly profitable clients fit in that list? It depends, right? <laughs> you know, so it's like, yes. um, you don't have to do everything all at once. You can hang on to those really, um, hopefully you enjoy those clients, right? And um, so we've we've kept high margin services or client relationships through the long haul. Um, but grading those clients A, B, C, D is usually what we would do. And I, then- Yeah, I think it was good that you touched on the point that an A client is not only a high margin client. Oh, no. And yeah. I, there have been a lot of high margin clients that don't want the services that we now offer or don't want to do business the way that we do business. A few, because we did this in steps, we didn't want to hurt the business in any way. We didn't want to lose team members in any way by doing this. We wanted to keep all of the team members that we have um, and the business to continue to be profitable through the transitions. So we did keep some high margin clients, but they weren't necessarily ideal fits. And within the next time that we graded clients and thought about doing the next divestor, they were first ones on the list because they stuck out so badly after we yeah. had removed the ones that didn't fit. So I think that's really important is that don't, you don't necessarily have to look at that list of just who are my most profitable. Okay. They stay no matter what. That's not the right mindset to have when thinking through this. Yeah. So that that's a great point. We, we kept those kind of isolated. We, we still graded those as Absolutely. well because it's, you know, and they wouldn't always fall in a, because maybe we're not serving them right. how we want to. So they may be a C client. Right. So, um, but that's, we would start with the D and how many D's can we afford to, um, exit. And every time we did a divesture, it was always exit without the intention of recovering uh, any income. And so that was the thing, like our initial client block sales, the first two that happened in the first year that we did this in 2017, um, I think we're about 75 to $100,000 each. So it made up 150 to $200,000 in total client exit. And with that, it was not any cash up front. It was, we went to two different CPAs and said, well, they reached out to us and said, we would like to grow more. And so we referred them work, but then they also said, well, can, you know, how can we also grow faster? And I'm like, well, we've got some clients. So we actually took those two blocks to two different CPAs and whatever they collected year one was the purchase price. So in their side, they didn't have to give any type of compensation to us for that first year, they got to collect all of that fee income and that's what set the purchase price. And then based on that, the next three years, that purchase price that was agreed upon was paid out. And so that worked well in that situation. The very next year... Did you say how you identified those CPAs. Mm -hmm. Well, one had reached out. Um, we all, I mean, we've always done a good job of knowing our peers in the markets. And so one of those was in the market where the, uh, the, the second office that we acquired was. And then the other one was actually a friend who left a larger firm that started uh, a firm. And we actually subleased space to her um, as well. So she just 
unlike any other CPA, she reached out and said, hey, I'm not as busy as I'd like to be. And, um, you know, famous last words on that. So those were the first two. And we identified that just through pure connections. Mm -hmm. the, the next one was actually the spouse of a former employee who left a firm and wanted to start his own firm. Um, he was doing both financial planning and CPA. And so with that, it got to the point where my mentor was fully retiring from that type of work and we had to make a decision. Do we go in and staff that other office and kind of double down or do we, is this the time to spin that off and exit? And we chose the latter and said, okay, we're going to spin this off and the client base that is tied to that location. And with that, it gave that other young person an opportunity to go office in there and do all of that. So that was about a $250,000 transaction. That one was, he went and got a loan, very similar to my initial um, start at DBA. And um, part of that went to me, a very small part, but also part of it went to my mentor um, that took a small subset of clients back. And that's actually the fourth uh, divestor is that mentor of mine took some clients back. And so he had to pay for those clients of what we had given consideration of. Um, so that was 2018. And then in uh, 2019, one of those CPAs that subleased a space from us, she got another client block and then smaller still, um, maybe 50 or 75,000. So it's not, they're not big numbers, but it allowed us cash runway to, to continue to shift the focus of the firm, not accept clients that weren't a good fit and kind of give us just pure operating capital to continue to bring on the right people as we grew the client base. And so in 2020, um, in the midst of COVID, we had a team leader leave um, and we had an audit practice or in a test practice that same thing, similar to the office, do we double down and really start to grow that or is it a time to exit that service line? And so at that point, we said, um, we don't want to go through peer review any longer. I was already out of the a test game. I didn't want to step back into it. So at that point, uh, we found a regional firm that wanted to come into our market, and we provided this larger base of clients, which was 400000 the same amount that I started DBA with as far as the first acquisition we sold off in 2020 to that regional firm. And so that one uh, got a down payment, payments over four years based on client retention. That wasn't our best deal, um, by the way. And so that was more of a, of a real estate play for us because they were able to come into our market, sublease part of our office building are still there today, which works great from a real estate perspective. Um, but from a client sale deal, um, you know, their retention has been different than other smaller CPA firms. They're just... Um, not as motivated maybe um, to, to kind of retain some of those clients. And, and we've felt that every year on the payouts of that original agreement that we, that we agreed to. Do you want to talk a little bit about what communication looked like with the first divestures versus the communication with that yeah. particular divesture? It was night and day. And so it was um, the smaller single solo CPAs were so invested, whether it was a $50,000 block or 250,000, like they were all in, it was their client base. Like it was their road to success to make sure that these clients transitioned. The other side of that, when it was a much larger firm, they really didn't have any incentive 
to like whoever came came um, to their firm. They really didn't. They may say different, but you know, and that's we're still friends yeah. with them too. Hopefully, they don't listen to this. But um, it was just there was no incentive other than what my payout was going to be. So they saw like I should be doing more, and I'm like, they're not my clients anymore. Like we did everything the same. We sent out letters, phone calls, made introductions. It just kind of fell flat whenever it went to the larger firm. Yeah. Um, I think that that was the big thing that we did the same each time as far as communicating with those clients that would be transitioning of, hey, we no longer offer the services that you were used to receiving at our office. Here are people who do offer these services. We know them. We are working with them through your transition closely, um, gave all of their contact information, said that they were ready and waiting for their call or email. And then we did that same thing. But those first um, acquisitions, those owners reached out to those people as soon as. So, you know, if they were copied on the email, they responded to the email for every single one of those clients. If they hadn't heard from somebody on their list, they proactively reached out prior to, like way prior to tax season. Whereas with the second one, um, they didn't even reply (laughs) to the emails that they were copied on. They did not reach out to anyone that they hadn't heard from. And I don't know that they had a point person in their office to help with the transition as far as getting documents or following up with anyone, because a lot of messages, even just simple questions in response to their letters would go unanswered for days or weeks. We would step in and try to help open up that door of communication, but it still wasn't there. And really that wasn't, um, that wasn't anyone's fault. It was more of how the deal was written where it really was on us as the ones needing to be <laughs> that were more motivated to make the transition work versus them. It was like, eh, it's good if it does, it doesn't matter to us if it doesn't. So, right. Yeah. And, um, it also something we've learned on the other side of that is they don't need more clients. Yeah. You know, it's one of those like capacity is full plus. And so the fact that that's the one difference with them versus all the others that they don't have capacity for more clients. And we didn't realize that we ahead did not. of time. We yeah. kind of saw maybe we're a little bit jaded by the 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 sheer number and size of the firm and thought, well, if we can do this with our very small firm compared to them, then they should have plenty of capacity and they're asking for it. So there's also that. And they're paying for it. Uh, They're paying for it. So (laughs) so I think that we were just a little bit um, in the dark maybe on what actually would happen. Correct. So just because they're a bigger buyer doesn't mean they've got it figured out. And so going back 2020, that happened 2021. That was our third client sale to that same CPA who subleases space from us. She um, wanted to continue to grow her and her partner. So we did another one of those in 21. And then in 2022, we went back to her for potentially the fourth time. And she said, no, 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 (laughs) I'm good. Um, So we said, hey, hey, that's great. And on that last one, which happened in 22, we actually like that was a, a good block. And after doing this eight different times, like, the people are good people, right? Like, so these A, B, C, D, like you're just, you're continuing to grade based on that methodology, A, B, C, and D, but your Ds are so much better people than whenever we started that in 2017. Like just, 
great all around, very profitable engagements. So we put together a block of about 150,000 of work. It was about 100 relationships, 100 returns. So really good, you know, average price point. And because we really didn't have a peer in the market who we knew we could go to, we actually listed it with a broker and got a nice multiple on that, 1.2, found a buyer, found multiple buyers for it, but ultimately went with one that was down the street, worked really well for them because um, while they weren't meeting in our conference room and keeping our same address like the previous some of the previous client blocks, um, they were just down the road. And so that was the other thing that was easy for people that wanted that local presence, which that's kind of what we got down to is now that we've moved more virtually in this, you know, post COVID environment, if somebody needed an office location and they weren't one of those high margin A, B or C clients, then that's kind of what made up the decision to get them to somebody who's going to serve them in a local presence in a local market. So, um, every time we've done this, it just comes down to not good or bad person. It's good or bad fit. And that good or bad fit is where we're at today or where we are going as a business. And so that's everything we've done in grading. And I know we've touched on that a few different times. Um, but as as we recap, like the lessons learned over these 12 different M&A transactions, number one, due diligence is key. And so both on the buyer side and on the seller side, I raise my hand that on some of the transactions, I did too much due diligence and on others, I didn't do enough. And now it's just having that experience going through both that I know probably the right amount to do and what really matters most. So due diligence is key. The second item is communication is key. And so communication, whether you're buying firm, selling clients, whatever that is, communication has to be clear between the two parties that are doing the deal. So the two firms or the buyer and seller, and then also the clients. If you're selling, you have to give them a reason why. Nobody loves to be broken up with, but you also have to make the right introductions, support that introduction along the way to make sure that that is a successful transition. And our success rate on these transitions are anywhere from 75 to 85, 90% probably as far as landing. Um, because where else are they going to go? Yeah. Like, you know? Well, it's so much better. And we've talked about this before to when you are broken up with from any type of business relationship, it's so much better to have a recommendation of who to go to. Even at the end of the day, if you don't go to that person, but you talk to that person and you can see, okay, I liked this about my previous CPA. I don't care for this about this CPA. At least you have a little bit more of what to go off of, like, no, that's not what I want. And you can go find someone else. But it feels awful when you have to start with a blank page of like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to Google and starting yeah. to call every single person that comes up until I find somebody that's either taking new clients or that I feel like, you know, hopefully in a better situation, I feel like I can um, communicate well with. So yeah, so much better to at least have somebody to go to, to as a recommendation. Yeah. And then the final um, kind of lesson in that is just flexibility is key. So even though the attorneys or the brokers require things to be written a certain way, um, as long as you have good communication, good rapport with the seller or the buyer, um, remaining flexible just so there's success rate in the deal, I think is the other piece where these four acquisitions, these eight divestures we've done, 
are all a little bit different, you know? And so I think it's just being flexible to achieve the goals of both parties and no deal is the same. So that's the piece where it all comes down to the due diligence, communication and flexibility with the lessons that we've learned in those 12 M&A deals. Yeah. And just before we wrap up, what would you say from a seller's perspective, from our perspective, which deal felt the best or what were some of the benefits of the deals that we did on our own? Say that we, um, that we sold those three client blocks to the same person over a couple of different years versus the one we sold with the broker. Yeah, so I think uh, the broker and then the one we did in, in 18 where that was cash up front. So, you know, cash up front's nice. And there's also, there's going to be a lot more due diligence on those cash up front deals um, from the buyer's perspective, a lot more requirements from the bank, assuming they're going out to get a bank uh, note. So those were nice. Um, the the trust that we have with the person who keeps buying client blocks from us, yeah. that's nice too. Mm -hmm. So um, th they actually don't like to carry debt. So after year one, after that purchase price is established, they usually stroke a check for yeah. that amount because they don't like that, even though they have they have all ability to stretch that out over three years, but they just cut us a check and don't care to pay interest. And so um, that's that's worked out really, really nice. But I will say if, if you're thinking about doing this in your firm, um, Make it a reasonable acquisition for somebody. So don't feel like you have to build like a $400,000 block or a million dollar block of clients. Our, our best ones have been the $50,000, $150,000 blocks because the buyer can typically not, not have lending, uh, not have leverage to come to the table and acquire those. And so you can get a nice chunk down front. That way they have sweat in the game, um, which we would always recommend, whether that's a lot of cash, like 90%, or if it's... 25%, just you need some equity. And then what you do there is you set a floor. So if it's going to be a 90% floor or lower, um, we would also want that on the upside because if they actually grow that book of business or you send a bunch of referrals over that way, that should also adjust the purchase price, you know, on the other side of it. So um, a lot of flexibility in yeah. that, you know. I think that that's been um, kind of a side benefit or a secondary benefit is that because we do have ideal clients and we don't really stray from that in accepting new work, these uh, divestures have opened up the door for us to have multiple places to send clients who call or prospects who call that don't really fit our services or our model. And so that's also nice is to be able to say it's so much easier to stick to no, we don't serve that type of industry or we don't serve that type of client or we don't do that service when you can refer them to someone that you know is good, that you know is going to take their call or respond to their email, respond to their call. So that's always nice as well. You just continue to build that network of, you know, extra referrals when you can't do, maybe you can't perform the work that someone's calling about. Yeah, I would just say that's the biggest piece. If you're the seller and looking for a buyer, confirming that they have capacity for those clients because that's going to make success a lot easier. Well, I'm glad that you made good on your story and that it didn't end up being like an over-exaggeration that you really could <laughs> point back to all 12 deals that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm okay being wrong 
in that case. And so, Hey, 12 deals in 12 years is also right. what that happens. So, um, what are we going to do this year? I guess oh, is no. the next thing. Oh, no, no. So we're going to, we're going to rest. We're gonna all right. Take a break. All right. <laughs> all right. It's been a good conversation. All right. Thanks. Thanks for hanging with us to the end of another episode. Leave us a review with your thoughts, comments, and feedback on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Join us again next week for another great conversation.